Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. wondering if you have ever been so overwhelmed that you've been speechless. I did a wedding this afternoon and it reminded me of uh, our wedding 20 years ago and we wrote our own vows, my wife Abby and I did, and you know the way we did it was we gave our vows to the pastor and he then you know, read a little bit of it and we repeated it back to him because there was no way we were going to be able to memorize this and, and be able to do it on the day. And so time came for the vows and it's my turn and so uh, the pastor begins and so I'm following along and I'm holding Abby's hands and I'm just looking at her and looking at her eyes and somewhere along the line. I just lost track of where I was. And I'm just gazing at her, and I'm just kind of overwhelmed by how beautiful she is and in this moment, and I just remember going, huh, what? <laughs> right, in the, right in the middle of the vows. So nothing like that as the promise that you're making to your wife. But uh, <laughs> So I, I was just overwhelmed in this moment by the glory and the beauty of her and of what we were entering into. And I couldn't focus. I couldn't put words around it. Even now, it's hard to describe what it was that I was experiencing and feeling. This is what it's like when we encounter the glory of God. We can't really describe it well. We're going to be talking about that tonight in our next message that we're calling Chris, in, of this series that we're calling Christmas Threads. Throughout this Advent season, we're going to be pulling some threads. Like when you pull that string that's sticking out from your sweater, and as you pull it, you realize that that thread was actually intertwined with the entire sweater. And so as you pull it, it begins to unravel. So we're going to pull on some threads of history. And really, these are themes that as we pull on them, we'll find that these themes are central to the Bible. They're central to what God is working out in history, what he intended at the beginning, and what he will accomplish in the end. And it will ultimately also point to why did Jesus come at that very first Christmas? Because the thread is intertwined. And so we're going to pull on these threads and then think about what does this mean for us today? So last week as we started, we pulled on the thread uh, of covenant. This was describing the nature of our relationship with God, that we're not just in any kind of relationship with God, but specifically a covenant relationship, which comes with expectations that we can have of God and that God has of us. And so if you're curious, you can go back and hear that on our YouTube channel, PCTRNJ. But today, we're talking about glory, specifically the glory of God. And so as we jump into this, let's pray that God would lead our thoughts together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be gathered in your presence, confident that you're here, not because we're worthy of your presence or have done anything special, but because you've promised. As a covenant-making God, you've promised to be with us in relationship with us. And so, Lord, in these moments, we, we want to hear from you. And even more so, we expect to hear from you. 
as you will, you'll speak to us, you'll teach us, you'll guide our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, and ultimately, Lord, shape us by your word that we can know you deeply and we can be more and more your people. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So what is glory? Glory, I mean, certainly it's used in a variety of ways throughout society, and it's, it can also be a very churchy word that we're not even exactly sure what we mean when we say glory in a church kind of context. If, if you look it up in merriamwebster.com, there are actually, as in terms of a noun, there are five definitions for glory, which maybe that's part of why we struggle to pin it down. It's also got one definition as a verb, and another as an interjection, you know, so like if you're from the South or have lived in the South, glory be, you know, that's a thing. Lived in Chattanooga for a little while, so. But today we're talking about what does it mean as a noun, the, a possession, a thing, an attribute of God, as Psalm 24 said, he's the king of glory. What does it mean? What does glory mean as a noun, as an attribute? So Stephen Hawthorne uh, actually gives this definition he says, glory is the essential worth, value, and beauty of people, created things, and of course, the creator himself. So glory is the essential worth, value, and beauty of people, created things, or of God himself. Now, that's a lovely definition, but I'm not sure it's, a, it's really a fully helpful definition because he's using words that are just as difficult to define as glory itself. How do you define worth? How do you define beauty? This was Pastor John Piper actually was talking when he was talking about defining glory. He says it's impossible because it's a lot more like the word beauty than it is the word basketball. You know, if if you ran into someone who didn't know what a basketball was and said, "Hey, help me out, define a basketball," you could probably do that fairly easily. You know, you might use your hands and start to say, "Well, it, it's a round thing that's made uh, of leather or rubber. It's probably nine to ten inches in diameter. You inflate it with air, so you can ultimately bounce it on the ground. You can throw it to people where you pass it, and eventually, when you're playing the game of basketball, you're trying." to throw it through a hoop that's 10 feet up in the air, also known as a basket, thus it's called a basketball. Now, they probably at that point would have a fairly good idea of what a basketball is and could probably distinguish a basketball from a soccer ball or a football or a golf ball, right? So that would be pretty helpful. But that's not something you can really do with the word beauty, is it? Beauty, you can't really give that kind of a technical definition where somebody could walk away having never experienced or seen anything of beauty, and they probably would be just as clueless as when they started the conversation, wouldn't they? But you could probably, if you had a time, you could point at a bunch of different things and say, oh yeah, that's what beauty is like. And so it might be this particular thing that's seen or this particular music or, or something like that. And if you say it and see it enough times, you might be able to get the general idea of what beauty is, though not a precise definition. And that's kind of what happens with glory, I think. The glory of God is something that we are not going to be able to precisely define. I'm going to give you, hopefully, some helpful definitions and things to think about, but it's not something we can pin down so concretely, and that, I think, is on purpose. 
Because part of the glory of God is that we are to be moved to give glory. Right? We're, when you give something glory, you give, you identify, you give it value, worth, honor. Right? It, it's to acknowledge that that thing is in some way amazing. And so I think God doesn't want us to be able to put him into a tiny little box because we would probably lose our awe and wonder. Matter of fact, I think that's what happens a lot of the time for me, that I come to have a domesticated version of God where I can start to feel like, okay, I know these stories, I know these things, I know what God has done, I know what, you know, and, and I start to become feeling like I'm so familiar with God or about God that he starts to fit into a box rather than to defy my ability to actually fully comprehend and behold him. And so glory is trying to explode or does when we behold it, when God reveals it, when it's shown, it's his revelation of really the core of his, of his value, his worth, and his beauty. And so when we get to the Hebrew word, that this king of glory in, in Psalm 24, it's the word kabod. And that's a helpful word because that word has to do with weight, with heaviness, with substance. And so you can kind of start to be like, okay, the glory is something that, that y- y- you can't really hold up because it has so much weight. It's something that we could struggle against. It's something that also has to do with radiance and splendor, right? It, it, you can start to think about light. You know, we can't get to the fullness of the radiance and the splendor of God, but maybe we can give a a bit of a a simile. It's kind of like um, in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation when the lights finally come on on Clark's house, right? So we got this picture just to, you know, help you wrap your head around it, right? This is, so like at this moment, this is like, this is radiance, right? This is splendor. It it, it is 25,000 twinkle lights, all blazing in the darkness at the same time, pulling so much power that the houses for miles around lose their power just to be able to light his house. They have to flip the nuclear auxiliary power switch in order to power the demand, right? Like, this is radiance. This starts to point to the incredible radiance and the splendor of God. Because we start thinking about, right, this is glory, this is radiance, But this is kind of like, this is temporal, this is earthly. Even this was able to be accomplished by some humans. So what is God's glory? What is God's radiance and splendor? What is God's weightiness? Who is this king of glory, as the psalm put it? Christopher Morgan offers, uh, he's a, a theologian, offers an additional thought. He says, the glory of God is the magnificence, worth, loveliness, and grandeur of God's many perfections. It's his magnificence, worth, loveliness, grandeur, but to an infinitely indescribable degree because it's his perfections, right? This is one display of radiance and splendor, but God's is even greater. God's is even more so. This is what it means that God is holy, That he is perfect and completely other. He is so much above and beyond us as humans that we can't really even comprehend it. We can start to see there's a scale. 
Like we could say, okay, we've got candlelight, and then we've got like a lamp, and then we've got, you know, a spotlight, and then we've got maybe a house full of Christmas lights, and then we have beyond that, you know, we've got something else altogether. We've got searchlights, and then we've got, you know, the sun, and then we've got the glory of God, the radiance even greater than the sun, indescribable in its perfection and its majesty. So we can't fully comprehend it. We can't fully describe it. And so maybe we need to point at it a bunch of times to be able to see it, to say, oh, there it is, there it is, there it is. And so that's where we're going to pull the thread through history, right? We're going to pull the thread of God's glory to try to be able to see it, to be able to understand it. The psalm starts that for us. In Psalm 24, 1, it said, the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, in the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Or we get to see the glory of God in, his, in creation. This is the unique thing about God, isn't it? Like humans, we can create a lot of stuff. And there's a lot of amazing things that humans have invented. And part of that's because we're made in the image of a God who is a creative God. And so those are glorious things that we make. You know, when you see incredible bridges and you see buildings and you see, you know, works of technology, things that you just kind of go, whoa. But those all point us to the glory of God who created everything out of nothing. <laughs> out of nothing. Right? The, the whether you adhere to the Big Bang theory or you and evolution or you adhere to a new earth, young creation theory of seven-day creation that's literal days, really, the how, I think, is less significant than the fact that God did it. Either way, right? the, the, that's clear. Genesis 1 was so clear. Psalm 24 is so clear. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The scripture is clear that whatever the mechanics of it, God is the one who did it. He made it. He created all things out of nothing, and he created it in an orderly manner so that there is life. I mean, it really is amazing to think about the fact that there is life and not not life. You know, that it is a, it's truly miraculous. Even those who don't have a faith perspective recognize how unlikely it is that we would in fact inhabit this particular rock in the midst of this particular solar system, in the midst of this galaxy, right? That, that all of the factors that had to come together to allow life to exist, this is because of the glory of God showing us his creative power, his amazing attention and wisdom in detail, and his beauty. Because, <laughs> man, creation points us to the beauty of God, doesn't it? To the weightiness. Have you ever been, had the experience of being dropped to your knees because of what you saw in creation? I, I went one summer on a mission trip to, to Siberia and Mongolia, and as a part of that, we, we was working with a church plant that was happening there, and we were hosting a camp for... Uh, high school students and college students, and it was out on the shores of Lake Baikal, which was a, a couple out bus, hour bus ride outside of the city I had flown into, middle of nowhere. There was nothing already established, so we literally had to physically build the camp, build where we were going to sleep. And, and it was right there on the shore, though, of Lake Baikal. 
And if you don't know it, it is remarkable. It's a mile deep. It's got like a fifth of the earth's fresh water sitting in it. It is clean enough that an American guy who has, you know, uh, whatever we bring as Americans with no like resistance to anything can walk right in and drink from the shore. It's clean, it's clear, it sits in the midst of this, at least where I was, it's huge, so where I was was in the midst of this valley among these mountains, and I remember we were having a worship service, and it was in Russian, so it was a little difficult for me to participate, and so I kind of was sitting near, or standing near the back, and I just kind of drifted off, you know, lost that focus, and I turned around, and I walked down toward the shore of the lake, and I just remember being overwhelmed to the point that I just dropped to my knees realizing how small I am and insignificant and how glorious God is. The weight, my knees literally buckled under the glory that the creation is pointing to the glory of God. As we pull the thread through the story of the scripture, though, we see God constantly revealing his perfections, his majesty, his beauty, his strength, we see it in, in the Exodus story where God sends Moses to the Pharaoh of Egypt and says, let my people go that they may worship me, which by the way means give me the glory that I'm due, give me the honor. Right? Let them go, free them. And God ultimately obviously brings judgment against the, the Egyptians as well as all of the Egyptian gods, the 10 plagues that play out through the Exodus story, there's a lot of good argument that that is a judgment against each one of the Egyptian gods, the other gods that they thought had glory, had no glory compared to the glory of God, who would bring them out. They saw it in, in these mighty acts of God. This is what Psalm 24 says, that it's the, the Lord Almighty, the Lord who is strong in battle. God reveals his glory as he saves his people from impossible situations. As he is the only one that can show up and intervene because they can't save themselves. Moses is leading the people through the wilderness and he wants to quit. He wants to turn around for lots of reasons. People are obnoxious, whine and complain at him a whole lot and... You know, they're complaining to God, complaining to Moses. And, and so he's saying, I'm not, God, I'm not going a step further unless your presence is with us, unless you are with us. And part of this we see in this moment with Moses is that God's presence and God's glory are tied together. Right Where he is present, he starts to reveal more and more of his power and his majesty and who he is. And so in that moment, God says, I'm pleased with you. I'll go with you. What do you need? And Moses says, show me your glory. And so God says, okay, but here's the deal. I'm going to put you in this, this rock over here. There's a little crack in there, and I'm going to put you in there, and I'm going to put my hand over you. And when my presence goes past, the fullness of my glory is going to go past. And so that would be a problem for you. And so I'm going to go past, and when I remove my hand, then, then you can look at my, the back of me. Because if you see my face and you see the fullness of my glory, it's not going to work. And so God passes by. Moses comes out, sees the back of God, and the glory of the Lord was radiating from Moses' face for days. I kind of think this was like 
you know, when, it, when these lights came on in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, can you imagine being the neighbors? We've got the next shot. This is Todd, Todd and Margot. They're here, promise you. It's worth it, wait for it. We'll keep, it doesn't want to, it doesn't want to play tonight. There it is. Right, this is the neighbors, this is Todd and Margot. And Margot is like, Todd, what's all this light? Right, this is the glory radiating into their home, into their space, and they have to sh turn their eyes away. They can't actually see. They can't actually look into it, right? The glory of God we can't even look fully into and survive. See, this was, it was blinding and overwhelming, and this is part of the experience that then w was talked about throughout history as the psalmist goes on in, in Psalm 24 and starts talking about, lift up your heads, O gates, Fling wide you doors. He's talking about the temple, the tabernacle, where the people of God would come into worship. And the Psalm 24 was probably used in, in situations where the tabernacle was moving, and they would bring in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a box that held some incredible reminders of the glory of God. It held these things that pointed back to God's saving acts throughout history. And so as the ark would come in, the people understood that the presence of God was going to come into the tabernacle or the temple where they were going to meet with him. The ark was going to go into the holy of holies where the glory of God was said to dwell on earth, his presence on earth in the holy of holies. And so the, when the glory of the Lord, though, filled the temple, filled the, the tabernacle, Moses couldn't go in. The priests couldn't go in. It was too much. It was overwhelming. And so the psalmist asks the question, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Because that's the problem with God's glory, isn't it? It's too much for us. It's too much in our finite humanity. It's too much in our sinfulness because the answer to it the psalmist offers is that, oh, it's those who are pure in heart that can come into the very presence, the glorious presence of God. Right? And you already knew this if you've seen Indiana Jones, right? You've seen this, right? Where, where they open the Ark of the Covenant and it doesn't go well for everybody. They all, if you haven't seen it, it's okay, but they all die, basically. Because the glory of God... This is, what, this is Steven Spielberg's attempt to represent what the glory of God is like when humanity comes into the presence of the glory of God. It doesn't go well for us. Because his perfection, his beauty, his majesty, his holiness is the radiating fire of the sun times an infinity. And so in our imperfection and our unholiness, our unloveliness, we're melted in comparison. And yet, Moses said, unless you go with us, it's not worth going. Unless the glory of God is with us, there's no hope. And so the prophets come along, and they continue to hold out the hope of the glory of God, and they... They, they reveal that God is going to ultimately, Ezekiel 39 says this, I will display my glory among the nations, all the nations, not just you, not just you, my people. My intent is that the whole world would know my glory, that the whole earth would be filled with my glory, that I would reveal completely and wholly all of who I am in all my majesty, all my love, all my holiness, all my beauty, that it would all be out there. 
what's going to happen. I'm going to do it someday. But along with that, Ezekiel reminded that it will be a day also of judgment because we will not all stand. And so God had had this glorious presence from creation through the Exodus, right, through the temple and the tabernacle to the prophets pointing to the hope of of the glory of God, that his glory was on display every time he revealed himself, and then silence. Because the people, rather than recognizing the glory of God as the one who was worthy of their glory, continued to kind of go their own way, do their own thing, continued to really seek their own glory, seek to be made important themselves. And so there's this period of silence, 400 years where God didn't speak, God didn't reveal his holiness. He didn't perform miracles. He didn't save in battle. He didn't show up in fire and sun. Silence. And then Christmas came. We're going to read from John 1, that in the midst of that silence and in the midst of that darkness, what did God do? In John 1, it says this. If you want to follow on the screen, you can The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What happened that first Christmas? The glory of God was revealed again. The true light that gives light to everyone came into the world. The Word became flesh. God Himself became flesh, made His dwelling among us. God Himself became flesh. The Creator entered into His creation. Light entered into our darkness. And as John reflected back on it, and in that we saw the glory of the Son, S-O-N, who came from the Father. Who is this king of glory, Psalm 24 asked. This is the king of glory born in a manger. See, Jesus, when he came at Christmas, he was the ultimate revelation of God's magnificence, his loveliness, his beauty, his character, because he's God in the flesh. He was the revelation of God's glory, his essential worth, his value, his weight, his radiance, God's presence, God's glory among us. Because in Jesus, what we get is God's glory no longer as an abstract idea, but we get it as a personified, visible presence. Right? It's one thing if you, you, were, talking and you're, you were talking about generosity, And generosity is a great thing, but it's a whole other thing to see it in a person, isn't it? To really see it. 
And you might see it in somebody giving an inordinate amount of money. It could be millions. It could be billions. You might, as Jesus saw it, in a widow who had two bucks left to her name, gave her last two bucks. And that you might have seen generosity in a way you'd never seen before. It's something to know about an idea. It's something to talk about creativity. It's another to witness an artist in their medium creating something of of beauty. You can think about it. You can can try to understand it. But to see it, man, that's when it goes, wow. And Jesus came as the glory of God revealed. And yet, what did John tell us? Many didn't recognize him, did they? Many didn't know it when they saw it. They didn't see and understand the glory of God. Really? (laughs) How could that be? Because God's glory is so completely other than the glory that we think about. See, our category for glory only has this idea of kind of power and award and honor and triumph and victory and right the, the the glory always goes to the super bowl champion not to the runner up right as a matter of fact the runner up is cursed they don't go back to the super bowl even the next year it's just look at the stats it's true sorry philly right but the glory goes to the winners And Jesus came as a baby in a manger, in humility, in vulnerability. That didn't make sense. This isn't the Messiah that they were expecting. He came in humility and meekness. He came to those who were his own, and they rejected him because he came as one saying, no, 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 we're we're not going to be served. We're going to serve. I'm going to lay my life down for others. That doesn't make sense. That's not glory. And yet, it is glory. We think about glory as being lifted up. Well, John, when John talks about Jesus being glorified, he does talk about Jesus being lifted up, but he talks about him being lifted up on a cross. He says that's when Jesus was glorified, in his crucifixion. Because God's indescribable holiness, his character, his magnificence, his loveliness, his power, his beauty, his majesty are most clearly seen in the Son who took on flesh, who laid his life down, who would then rise from the dead and will, yes, ascend. He ascended into heaven and he will come again to bring the fullness of that judgment that God promised earlier to the prophets and to bring the fullness of God's glorious, holy, beautiful presence. But man, his glory was revealed in the fact that the one who held life in his hands took on death. That the one who is perfect took on our imperfection. That the one who is love would take on suffering. The one who knew no sin would become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The one who should receive all honor and worship and praise would instead receive dishonor and slander and mockery and abuse. All of this so that we could receive glory. Colossians 3, 4. Paul tells us that we receive Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
This is the mystery of what God was doing, his glory, Christ in us, the hope of glory, so that we would then glorify God, so that we would give him the honor, and perhaps to find ourselves speechless as we reflect more deeply on this God who came in a manger, who offered his life on a cross, who rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven, who will come again and will bring his glorious judgment and his glorious restoration. Maybe it's in silence, speechless, because we don't have words and categories, or maybe it's in song, maybe it's in prayer, but the invitation throughout the rest of this Advent season is to behold the glory of God and to see it as a thread throughout history, a thread throughout your life, because God wants to reveal himself, the fullness of his glory to you, that you and I and the nations would give him glory in return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've waded into a topic that we, we really have inadequate words and concepts and categories to fully grapple with. And yet, Lord, we, we want to see your glory. We want to see your face. As we can see it in the face of Christ, though Moses couldn't see your face, we could see it in Christ. Lord, we want to see your glory in creation, but we want to see your glory in your saving and redeeming acts. We want to see your glory as you come again, Lord Jesus, in, in judgment and restoration, as you come to make all things new, that we could give you the honor, Lord. We want to see your glory transforming us, those who are impure but purifying us. We want to see your glory transforming our lives. We want to see your glory transforming our families. We want to see your glory transforming our neighborhoods. Lord, may your glory radiate and shine in us and on us and through us, that others may see the glory of a God who has made them and yet who loves them and has suffered for them and will come again. It's in Jesus' name we pray.